As said, my name is Tom and it's my joy to read the Bible for us. So we're reading from the book of John and so the first chapter, verse 43. <clears throat> so Jesus calls Philip and Nathaniel. <clears throat> the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And about the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. A second reading is also from the book of John. We go to chapter 20, verse 24. It's where Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas with them, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Because um, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Hey, make sure you've got the service outline. There's a few printed copies at the back on the welcome desk. There might be one or two left if you want to duck and get one. If not, scan. Really helpful to have that as we track through the big questions. And every week, actually, because there's a Bible reading in it. Um, know what's happening in our service, but also to follow along with what we're going to talk through. I do wonder if you've ever Googled God. Maybe you have. Maybe you, you've, you've had to lead a Bible study and you've decided to Google the passage and see what comes up or do you have questions about God so you hit, the, hit up Google and see what happens. But it turns out Australia is a pretty curious bunch when it comes to faith in God. During the COVID pandemic, when it first began and really hit us here in 2020, Google searches for prayer went up 40%. The 
Then in 2021, the census happened and we saw there's a huge rise in spirituality, in non-religion, but still spiritually curious people. So there's a move, yes, away from traditional Christianity and organized established religion, but a huge increase in faith, and I'm curious about there being more. McCrindle did some research recently, and if you can see that link, you can read the article, but they surveyed some Australians, and 58, 60, and 59, so almost identical figures, believe in a higher power, miracles exist, and there's life after death. This is not just from Christians, this is from all the sweeping scope of all ages, demographic stages of life in Australia. So curious, absolutely, we're a curious bunch. We Google God a lot, but we have no clarity. No clarity. And that's actually where a big question comes in. Uh, if God showed himself to us, I'd believe. Maybe you'd like to reword it, and you're thinking, I don't just want God to show me, I think if God, if I were God, I'd make myself clearer. Maybe you've had that thought as well. We'll look at both today. But have you ever wondered that? I just need God to stand in front of me, slap me on the face and say, I'm here, hello, believe, that'll do it. That's what I need. It's a great question. And we love dealing with facts and concrete information as, Australia, as Australians. And I think that's why so many of us ask. That's why it's made our top three, in fact, from what you've asked your friends and family. So... To begin, I want you to turn to the person near you and around you, and you've got one minute, or two minutes actually, to just ask this question and answer it. If you knew God would give you the answer to one question, what would you ask? So if you knew right now God would sit next to you and say, you've got one chance to tell me anything you like and I'll give you the straightest answer I can, what would it be? So go, you've got one minute, two minutes, just turn to the person, ask and answer that question if you can, what would it be? If you knew God would give you the answer to one question, what would you ask? It's a great question to think through and ask. And some of you, I heard it would take you two minutes to even think of a question. So well done for making it through. But here's what I want us to think through today as we consider this question. What if we aren't as self-aware and sure about what we need to believe as we think? What if God in his kindness knows us better than we know ourselves? And what if the sign that we think we need is actually a little bit different to what God knows we need? And that's where our Bible reading comes in from today. It's from a biography of Jesus' life. And Bible scholars often refer to this biography called the Gospel of John as the sign gospel. That is, John the author writes all about Jesus for the express purpose of recording the signs and miracles he's done and the words he said, so that we could consider the claims of Jesus and who he is. John says at the end of his gospel, these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. What does that mean? Well, first off, it means God's not playing a giant cosmic guessing game or game of hide-and-seek with himself and you. In fact, God's activity in our world, in his world, could be divided into three helpful categories. First thing is creation. This is the belief that God made all there is, that he's the divine mind and actions behind our universe. There's a theologian and scientist in Adelaide called Nick Hawkes. He has two degrees in theology and two in science. And he says this, science and faith have their origins in God. They cannot and should not fight each other. 
Science answers how, theology answers the why question. We need both. He's simply just saying what Psalm 19 verse 1 says, that God speaks through creation. Not only does God have creation, but we also have providence. We didn't talk much about this, but think of it as the way God continues to maintain his world. So the sun rises and sets, and God's delighted to keep this happening day after day. And British uh, writer G.K. Chesterton said this really creatively once. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. God is strong enough to exult in monotony. Again, he just is talking about Psalm 147, about God's activity in maintaining creation day after day, year after year. Creation, providence. And then we have what we're going to talk through today. Another way God talks and speaks is through signs and miracles. And the definition of a sign and miracle, helpful to get this out the way, I think is most helpful from this man called John Frame. You've never heard of him. But he says, it's a vivid demonstration of the presence and lordship of God in his world. That's what a sign and a miracle is. You know, so when the most famous one in the Old Testament perhaps is the parting of the Red Sea, and we learned that God blew an east wind to do that in Exodus 14.21. But you see, the writers of the Bible knew God was working his power as he used creation. In fact, he did that so the Egyptians would be amazed at God, and that's the point of a miracle or a sign, to bring people to say, wow, he's brilliant. He is God, he is Lord. Which actually, now uh, we have to ask the question, can we expect miracles to happen today? Well, if, if a miracle is an extraordinary demonstration of God's lordship, first of all, it means that God will do it for his own reason, to make himself known in a particular way. So yes, he may do it if he chooses to. I would expect them to happen. But because it's extraordinary, I should not expect it to happen just because I want him to. God has not promised us that. But also, don't draw a line between miracles and providence. They're really similar because both are reason for praise. That God gives food to the animals, maintains oxygen in the world, that we see incredible images from the James Webb telescope that make us say, wow, there to look at and to point us to God and go, wow, aren't you amazing? However, my problem, and I'm sure this can be said of you, is not that I don't see those things, or breathe oxygen as I'm doing now, it's that I just miss God in my life. As in, I just don't even, I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm oblivious, if that's the word, to him. I come back to my initial thought. There's a sense that being able to believe isn't necessarily what we think we need. Sure, perhaps God will do what you want. But would you really believe, or would you doubt even more? But you know, God knows you really well, really well actually. And in his wisdom, he's made a way for us to believe and consider who he is in a constant, repeatable, reliable way. And that's another way that God communicates in his world. It's through the preaching and pointing of people to Jesus. One example of that just comes from the book of Acts, chapter 13. All who had been appointed to eternal life believed when they told all about the kindness and love of Jesus. But I get it, though. Perhaps you're thinking, oh, Luke... I need something spectacular, not just a mundane church service that's half good and a few words from a dusty old Bible to believe. Consider this. What if God in his wisdom uses the ordinary more than the extraordinary because he's aware that no spiritual experience or earth-shaking sign is as impressive as who he is and what those signs point to? 
What if God in his kindness knows that sometimes we become addicted to the glory and the miracles instead of realizing the God who was there? For example, consider C.S. Lewis on this. He was convinced of the truth of Jesus while traveling in a motorbike sidecar on the way to the zoo. What happened on that trip, you ask? Good question. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It was noisy. He had a helmet on. It was loud. His brother was riding. And he said this, When I hopped in the motorbike sidecar, I did not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And when I reached the zoo and hopped out, I did. What happened? Nothing. Nothing in that trip. But for 33 years, there was doubt and questions and conversations and that ordinary ride he'd done a hundred times before, suddenly it all fell into place and belief was awakened. What did he need? 33 years of thinking. See, God invites you to think, doubt and consider, but also recognize that God knows what he's doing. That's just like who we meet in the John's Gospel reading, the two people we're going to look at. The tale of two people we heard who didn't believe in Jesus, but Jesus showed up and they saw him differently. Let's look at them now. The first one is Nathaniel. Nathaniel says there's nothing good in this, nothing good. So Jesus shows up and he calls Philip. He says to Philip, follow me. Philip does. And he's not trying to build his social media profile in first century Nazareth. We read, in fact, Jesus, uh, sorry, Philip was convinced that Jesus is the one Moses wrote about in the law. Once he believes, Mr. Philip runs along to let Nathaniel know. He wants to let others know he's onto a good thing, you see. But Nathaniel has a problem with his claim. Nathaniel's issue isn't belief in a God. He's quite happy with that. He can grasp there's more going on in the world than his own little vision. This is one of those, if God was good, he would do this or he'd not do that type questions. For Nathaniel... God could not come from such a small, blinking-you-miss-it, backwards town as Nazareth. Look what he says in verse 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What matters to him is if this Jesus really is the one for 1,500 years, Moses the prophets have been speaking, writing about, he's not coming from the right place, right? Like that's not the right town to walk out from and say, I believe in God. I'm the Son of God, I'm the Messiah. That doesn't work. And perhaps you're in a similar situation today. We don't like the way God self-identified as Jesus. We don't like his followers. We think they're hypocrites. Come in week three and we'll answer that one. We don't like that Jesus is a male. We don't like that belief in him seems to do more harm than good as we look around the world, or that it's too absurd and irrelevant and backwards. We don't like the way God has decided to do things. And and that's Philip. Sorry, that's Nathaniel. And you know what Philip says? Philip gets his Bible and says, let me tell you, Genesis, actually he doesn't. He just says, come and see. Philip knows what Nathaniel needs is to look at and into those claims for himself. Philip isn't sent on a mission to get Nathaniel either. He just is convinced that Jesus really is worth believing in. Come and see. I reckon this is the one. I'm convinced. Do you want to see? Come and see. That's it. But Jesus, it turns out, already knows all about Nathaniel. So sceptical, doubting Nathaniel with a low view of Jesus, thinking nothing good's going to come with this conversation, he rocks up to Jesus soon after this, and the first thing Jesus does is compliment him. And you have to see the, the irony here. Nothing good, and he says, Jesus says, you're, you're a true Israelite. 
You're the bee's knees of the people of God, Nathaniel. And whatever Nathaniel thinks of Jesus, Jesus has a much higher view of Nathaniel, you see. Jesus affirms he believes in God, his heritage, his identity, yes. But what you need, Nathaniel, you just need more clarity from the God of your ancestors. And perhaps you need to know this too. Jesus thinks way more highly of you than you do, even what you think of yourself. He knows all about your history, your curiosity, where you've come from, your culture. And he looks at you and he says, hey, I know all about you. Here's the one. And it's a bit shocking. I mean, it shocked Nathaniel in the next verse. He says, how do you know about me? For for, for starters, Jesus has never met Nathaniel. But long before this moment happened, Jesus saw him. Actually, Jesus saw him before he was born. To the moment he was under the fig tree and Philip found him. Jesus knew all about him. And this is really great as a side. If you get into a conversation about God, don't ever forget that Jesus sees and knows the person you're talking to way before you've even met them. Philip may have found Nathaniel, but in Jesus' eyes, Nathaniel never needed to be found. He knew exactly where he was because Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. The sign here is that Jesus knew Nathaniel where he was. Is that what Nathaniel thought he needed to believe? No. But it was what God knew he needed. Because then straight afterwards, Nathaniel says, Rabbi, which means teacher, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. He uses language of the prophets here to talk about Jesus as all the pieces falling into place. Which means Philip was right. You are the one Moses and the prophets wrote about. I get it. But Jesus has one more thing to say. And it goes into this exact idea of knowing what we need and Jesus knowing what we need and and missing God and all the ordinary. Because there's a caution in the next two verses, in 50 and 51. Jesus says to him, You believe because I told you I saw you under the tree. You see greater things than that. And very truly, I tell you, you'll see heaven and earth open and the angels of God descending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is weird if you're not an Israelite, and I assume we're not, so let me explain. Um, This would draw Nathaniel and Philip back to their ancestor Jacob. And in the book of Genesis, Jacob had a dream of a ladder coming down from heaven and angels going up and down from heaven. And here Jesus says, draws on that picture and says, I am the true ladder to heaven. Actually, the Son of Man is the true ladder to heaven. Jesus is the connecting point between heaven and earth. And what Jesus wants him to see is that believing in him because he can see and knows him is one thing, but it should push him further to see that to believe in Jesus as the one who came down and through him the blessing of belonging to God happens for God's people. So to wrap it up, Jesus' lordship is seen in him knowing all about Nathaniel. But not everyone thinks that way. Thomas, a final example, was of the opinion that unless I can see and touch, I'll never believe. So Nathaniel says, nothing good in this God. It turns out there was. Thomas says, I need to see. And he gives a math formula. See plus touch equals belief. And I think Thomas is like most Aussies I know. Some believe we should not accept any belief in anything unless it can be verified by evidence, sight, hearing, and so on. And sense experience is, of course, a good criteria for belief. 
but it's not the only one, nor is it the most valid. Never seeing something or hearing does not mean it does not exist. So how is Jesus going to answer this one? So by this point, we've come to the end of John's Gospel, and Jesus has died, he's risen back to life, and he's appeared to his friends on multiple occasions. And poor Thomas, he hasn't been there for any of those visits. We don't know why, but his friends quickly tell him, hey, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. We've seen Jesus, he's risen. And objections to Jesus' resurrection, by the way, are not new. In fact, one of Jesus' own followers, one of the 12 disciples who saw the historical Jesus, walked, eat, spent time with him, he didn't actually believe Jesus would rise from the dead. Our ancestors are not more gullible than us to believe that. Because Thomas then throws a challenge. There's that math formula. He says, unless I see, I will not believe. And he throws the challenge down, and for seven days, nothing happens. But in that week, we know Thomas didn't walk away from his friends or dismiss them as lunatics. Because a week later, Thomas and his friends are all indoors together. They're in a locked room, so it's private, in a house. And this time, Thomas is with them. And then, to everyone's shock, Jesus comes in and stands among them. He goes into the middle of this crowd of 12 and he says, Peace be with you. You see, the locked door, the closed mind of Thomas, they're not obstacles that have risen Jesus. Just as the door isn't a barrier to Jesus, Thomas's belief isn't a barrier to Jesus showing up either. And it turns out that not only did Jesus show up, but Jesus heard Thomas. I get the names wrong. You know what I mean. Nathaniel would have been there, I'm sure. But for Thomas, Jesus heard his question. And the first thing he says is, peace be with you. Now, that's the shock, the shock. I mean, if, if Jesus actually did appear next to you like he wanted him to, first of all, you'd be a little shocked. The disciples were. Don't think you, you, you just don't expect Jesus to show up. Even if you ask a sign, expect him to actually answer that, maybe? But don't think you can just pencil them in your calendar either. God, tomorrow at 9.30, with my cup of coffee in hand, you will show up and sit next to me and appear in my locked room, please. Don't think you're important enough to schedule a viewing with God like that. It doesn't work. God's quite happy to leave you for a week so he can do what he does best. But when Jesus show up, he's here to bring peace, not fear. As, as at his birth, the angels said of him, peace on earth to, go to those whom God favours. Jesus comes to bring peace between us and God, us and others, even in ourselves. And in John's Gospel, if you've been tracking from 1 to 20, we've seen Jesus undoing sin's destructive, chaotic nature to show his reign and his kingdom over his world and his people is one of peace. And it all starts when Jesus says, hey, peace to you. And then, out of the 12, he looks at Thomas. And if you're Thomas, you're feeling pretty shocked at the moment. And then Jesus says, Thomas... Put, put your fingers here, touch the side. You, know, you wanted that? Look, you can do it. I love you a bit, Thomas. Don't doubt, just believe. And here's the kicker. Thomas doesn't actually do that. He doesn't touch Jesus' hand. He just needs to see Jesus with a new mind, and he does. That's not mystical to say you need a new mind to see Jesus, or Thomas did it. It's just if Jesus was only a man, then his claims aren't good enough. And it's too much to expect salvation from a dead saviour. 
But when Thomas, like Nathaniel, saw beyond the man and saw the Son of God, he declared, my Lord and my God. So that's just two examples of Jesus knowing the person, what they need to believe, and being quite happy to bring them in their own way to believe in him. But notice, there's a group of people in these stories that we haven't talked about. And I want to finish here with this these group of people. Because while a few of you might be like Nathaniel and Thomas, and we have friends like Nathaniel and Thomas, I'm sure that most of us here are probably like the friends who really do think Jesus is the best news and want to share that belief and goodness of God with others. And the thing in these stories is that these friends are often the sign of God that people need. Notice the simplicity and wisdom of the friends who got into a conversation about God. We found Jesus, come and see. The friends know the questions, they know exploring Jesus is important, they don't dismiss them, they hear the doubts, they hear the challenges, they don't try and answer them all at once, they don't try and brush them off as insignificant or unimportant, they don't smile at them saying, you're unenlightened because you don't know God and I do. They just let God be God and then say, come and see, come and see. And so I want to give you two answers to those questions that you might have Monday morning on the coffee run at work or talking to someone in the car ride later this week or next year or next month, who knows. But if someone says, God needs to give me a sign, you're a Christian, hey, you know, if God's, God needs to give me a sign before I can believe, you could say, hey, it's really great you're thinking about God. I reckon if you look into the Jesus of the Bible, it may help you get to know the God you're asking for a sign from. Sometimes, just realizing God exists is a great start. Come and see. It's great you want to believe in God. It's great you want him to give you a sign. Or what if they say, well, I I need proof. Like Thomas, I'll never believe. Hey, maybe God will show up in just the way you want in a little while, but I I can't say for sure. But until he does, would you like to explore some of the claims of Jesus in the Bible? It may be a great way to help you see when God does show up. You see, there's a hunger for more, even in a post-Christian world, and that's why Jesus came. Jesus claims the satisfying bread of life, that he's aware of our questions and our doubts. So friends, be sensitive to that. Understand how hard life can be. Invite people to consider the Jesus of the Bible. And as you chat, as you listen, know this that Jesus holds a great promise and a blessing to all of us today. Because at the end of John, in chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus says to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen Jesus physically and have yet believed. And that's true for each of us here, and those in your work friends, and your family, and at the gym Wednesday night. So if you're here and you're curious about God and Jesus... I put this to you. What if in the last 22 minutes the evidence you need to believe in God was just that? What if this brief moment is a bit like that C.S. Lewis one? What if God has been reaching out to you and tapping you on the shoulder all of your life and you've never actually noticed? And what if today was the day you said, like Thomas, my Lord and my God, or Nathaniel, Jesus, you are the Son of God. And if that's not you and you're still curious and you know someone that is, come to the life course. We'd love to have you there. 
November 7. But over coffee today, think through this. What amazes you about God? We've looked at belief, we've looked at the kindness of God in revealing himself to us. So what is it for you? And share that with someone over coffee. What amazes you about God? Chat with someone, grab a coffee. Hey, what's so amazing about God? Why do you believe? You might be surprised. Let me pray, and then we'll sing to our wonderful God. Jesus, you love us to bits. You're not hiding, you're not playing a cosmic game of guess who. You've come, you've revealed God to us, and we think you're the best news. And we pray for our friends and family and those here who don't know you, that they would. Lord, may we be winsome and kind and just say, come and see. Father, awaken belief in your time to the person and work and worth of Jesus. May we walk away amazed at you again from today, confident, sure of what we believe and ready to tell others about your kindness and love. In your name we pray these things. Amen.